Morning, everybody. It's really good to be with you. I, I can't think of a better place to be in preaching than here. This is, this is my, this is our home here, even though we don't, aren't able to be with you that much. And I, every time I get a microphone here, I want to just say again how much Ruth and I appreciate your support of us spiritually, emotionally, materially. And it's really shown so much in the, in the meetings that we have, the Skype meetings. We have one, or at least once a quarter. And uh, in contrast to uh, the way it works with lots of missionaries with their churches, uh, it's, not, it's not a 10-minute uh, report about what's going on. It's like, we want to hang out with you guys. And we spend hour or more, and we feel like we're in your living room. You don't know how much that encourages us. I want to pray right from the outset, and then we'll start. Father God, we love you. We love you for who you are. We love you for your body, this group right here, and for all of the millions of others that are gathered in your name, we thank you for this body, this church. And Lord, we, we know that in this church is a great variety of people, and we've got some people who are hurting, they're deeply troubled, have trouble figuring things out in their mind, have trouble figuring things out in their emotions. They're weakened. And then we have, we have some who, who, are, who are just in a good place and who, who are able to freely flow in, in the life that's in you, Lord. And then we've got those of us who, are, who think we, we're fine, but we spend too much of our time trying to put on a front that, that covers up a great amount of hurting as well. We're all here and many other varieties, but you're here with us and you're, for, you're, you're, you're our God. Help me, Lord, to be able to articulate what you've put on my heart today. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, yes, uh, I think that this message about mental illness or mental health, however we want to put that, which into the spectrum, it does belong in the category of the soul. Because, because of the, particularly of the, this thing of emotions. And I, I really appreciated Steve's kicking us off last week with that. And, and, he, and he basically made two points, is that God made us to have emotions. But the other thing that he's, he talked about was that God is a God of emotions. And I, I want to just give a personal, uh, sort of a, a, a story of, of why this verse, which I'm going to read, Hebrews 4.15, 
means so much to me, and every time I read it, it brings back memories. Let me read it from the message. We don't have a priest who is out of touch with our reality. He's been through weakness and testing, experienced it all, all but the sin. My memory of that passage being preached goes back to sometime, I think, in my 30s. I can't remember exactly. Um, there was a, a great test in my, in my life. My father, who I was so dependent upon, so loving, so loved him, had a sudden and, and massive heart attack in which he, he hovered between life and death for 10 days, a lot of it being in a coma. And I was a young man. It was, I, actually, I was earlier than 30s now I'm thinking about it. I was so devoted to him, and I sat in front of that monitor hour by hour by hour, wondering, is he going to die? It was the hardest thing I'd ever experienced at that point. And in the middle of that vigil, I went to church, and there was a, a guest speaker, and he preached on this message. It sank so deeply in my heart that I knew that that was true. I knew it was true for me, that he knew exactly what I was going through. And he was there for me, and he was never going to abandon me. He could even relate to me. Now, let me tell you where we're going this morning. Uh, Steve had invited me to speak this week and next week as well. By the way, uh, I'm going to say something. I might as well do it now that we're talking about next week. Because this is kind of a specialized thing, some of you may have some questions that you would like to have addressed, either, either in, this, in this public forum or maybe even personally. If you have something like that, I think we could arrange for you could just uh, email to the church and then they can get that to me, and, and that, I'll just, I'd like to know what your, some of your, your personal issues are with, with uh, you'd like to see addressed. But anyway, uh, so, so I, I was asked to speak about the, the more difficult things with emotions. Mental illness affects our, our, our soul. It, it affects our, our spirit. It affects our ability to reach God sometimes. It's very hard to take a passage like Hebrews 4.15 sometimes and just say, I know it's there, but my mind is so confused. It's so scrambled. I'm so anxious. I'm so down. I can't even read the word. I mean, those things, those things occur with otherwise very, very strong people. And uh, so we're going to, with that in mind, 
we're, we're going to go from there. Now, what, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, kind of wear two hats here today. Uh, and, uh, and it's actually, it's uh, sort of uh, a description of, of my personality. I've, I've got two personalities. I've got one who's kind of analytical, kind of intellectual, like to study and learn all I can. And uh, that'll be reflected in this first part, in which I'm just going to give you some information. I think valuable information, but um, I'm a little worried that I might lose some of you um, at this point. But uh, I got my PowerPoints all ready, <laughs> and, uh, but I, uh, you don't know it, but uh, have you ever heard of the, uh, the, 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 uh, the word death by PowerPoint? It's a horrible way to go. <laughs> well, I was about to inflict you with a lethal dose as, as I'm studying, because the more I'm studying, the more I'm, they, they need to know this, they need to know that. And I was researching, and I had about 20 slides uh, with as small a print as you can do, 32 point. And, and I rehearsed it, and I thought, oh no, uh, that's the whole message. I don't want that to be the whole message. So mercifully, I just started delete, delete, delete. I, it was hard. It was painful to do that because all the work that I put into this, you darn well ought to listen to. Yeah. <laughs> okay, but I did. Now, I'm going to take for granted two things. Uh, this morning, and one is, and I'm having trouble seeing here. Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take for granted that there are those right here who are undergoing a great pain and stress due to some kind of mental illness, either in oneself or in a close family member. We might not even know who some of you are for various reasons, one being that I think mental health is, is more stigmatized than physical illness. So sometimes we don't have any troubles reaching out to help or discussing our physical problems, but mental, there's, there's, there's resistance there on both, both ends. But, it, but I'm going to assume you know that it's here. The second thing I'm going to assume that you accept is that Christ cares for the hurting and he intends his church, that's us, to be attentive and to be a part of encouragement and healing. Am I right about that, those assumptions? Yeah. Okay. All right. All right, so I'm going to, first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to, I'm going to give you an idea of the prevalence of mental illness. Just to get, a, get, a, get your head around, this is not a small population of people. So could we have the first slide. Okay. Uh, let me pull out my sheet here. 
Okay, so this is a, these are statistics of the prevalence in the general population at, in the United States. So the first one, total acute mental illness of any level of severity. So these would be acute. These would be the things like major depression, anxiety disorders, bipolar disorders, uh, all kinds of things like that that are less than amounts. 25% of the population will experience an episode uh, of anywhere from mild to severe in, in, a, in, a, in a, any given year, 25%. Developmental disorders, those are ones in which there are often birth defects, could be Down syndrome, autism, uh, and a, a whole lot of other rare chromosomal diseases. And by the way, I'd just say in passing, uh, we've got, two, we got 10 grandchildren. Two of them fit in this category. And we've had a chance to spend a lot of time in their homes. And I can just tell you that these particular kinds are incredibly stressful on family members, on marriages, on parents. Uh, and we need to be thinking about how God might want to use some of us to come to their aid. And then there's addiction disorders, 18, per, or, um, excuse me, 8%. 8 percent of the population will, will experience a, an, an, some kind of a substance abuse or other kinds of, of addictive thing uh, in, uh, in a pretty severe manner. And then personality disorders is 18%. So that's a lot of people. And maybe, maybe the thing that you might be able to remember is this, this thing. If uh, worldwide, uh, if you were to take all of the people who fit in these categories and put them in a, in a location and, and then turn them into a country, it would be the third largest country in the world. Those who are mission-minded, wouldn't you kind of, kind of look at that, at that country? So there's a lot of people, and God wants the church to be involved. I think not just within our body, but in our community. All right, next one. Uh, okay, now, Lifeway Research, uh, it's an evangelical research foundation that looks at issues. They do surveys uh, to aid churches and church leaders to guide them about what the important things are in, uh, going on in the world that the church uh, should be about. So this was their statement. Uh, mental, they did this in 2013. Mental illness is a part of life. Churches serve as a major support system for people with mental disorders and developmental disorders. All right. This study was undertaken to identify the strengths and weaknesses in this partnership toward healing and wholeness. Uh, what they did, they interviewed a thousand pastors. I think they were all in the, uh, the archetype of church, evangelical, charismatic, something uh, more Bible-believing. And and then they interviewed, uh, I think it's 355 family members of people with mental disorders. And then uh, 207 uh, actually were suffering from mental illness of some kind that are in the churches. And then also they, they got 15 mental health professionals 
to guide them and, and get, their, get their ideas about what really is, what is most needed that the church might be able to, to deal with. I, I've got the executive summer, summary on this, a 10-page thing. I don't know if anybody would be interested in that, but if you are, I can print that out for next week. It's really good information, especially for the leaders. All right, now let's go to the next one. Uh, uh, I'm going to skip the next one. Tools recommend I haven't got time for that one. Next one, uh, mental health experts on the church and community. People with mental illness often turn to the church for help. Now, do you know that, and I, I actually just studied this in graduate school, do you know that among the whole U.S. population, not just church goers, you know who people are going to go to first to get help? They go to church pastors more than than psychiatrists, more than than uh, than counselors. They go to pastors. I think that's amazing. Maybe part of it's because they don't charge. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Second thing is, so uh, it's a great opportunity. It's a great opportunity to be able to interact. Second, walking with the mentally ill can benefit the congregation, not just the individual. How I wish I had a whole message time to preach on that. And I put in there, bold. this was almost for my own notes to say, oh, I'm going to research this more, which I did, but I haven't put it, I didn't put it in there, but I want to say something. You know what mutuality means? Mutuality is the idea that any two people, regardless of all the obvious differences, any two people can have the attitude that I, not only do I have something to give to you, I think you've got something to give to me. And it's in that kind of a relationship that something really happens. That's the only really, what I would say, organic relationship is in which there is no sense that one is superior to the other. Am I right or wrong? Okay. So, so that's what they're saying. Now, the third one, this is back to statistics again. Two-thirds of people with mental illness in this study and their families were satisfied with the level of help that their church provided. All right. Good. Two-thirds. I good? Okay. Sometimes we give ourselves a little bit too much accolades, don't we, for how we're doing individually and as a, as a body as well feel pretty good about two-thirds. That means we must be doing something right, and I'm sure we are. But what about that one-third? Well, they're a minority, right? So we don't have to pay that much attention to them. But we are going to this morning. So let's go to the next slide. Um, the less than satisfied third. All right, here's what they said. Their complaints. Stigmatizing messages of personal sin as cause and repentance as the solution. 
denial of the concept of mental illness. Everything is spiritual. Serious mental, mental illness is, quote, diagnosed by church members as demonic. Message that, messages that if the person isn't healed from mental illness, and I think means healed pretty quickly, they lack faith. Now, we summarize that. I, I would say two, it, it comes down to two things. Stigma. And, and you can't even think of mental, mentally ill people without thinking the word stigma. It's the idea that they are worse off than I am, and I don't know how to relate to them. And the other thing is, I guess I would call it, you could say, treatment dogma. Now, now I, I've, I've been in two fields for a long time, in the Christian world, but I'm also a, a psychotherapist. I'm, we used to use psychology and counseling. And I've been through all this, many, many, heard many things over the years from Christians that what am I doing there? What am I doing in that field? My, my pastor, when I first decided to go in there, really strongly discouraged this. So what is it? All you're going to get there is, is secular stuff. And there was there's some truth to that. There was a lot of that. But I have come to the belief that you can't explain all mental illness from a spiritual perspective. You, spiritual is very important. In fact, I was going to uh, print out an article from Psychology Today. It really is cool. In Psychology Today, very secular, they, 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 the, the article was about religious faith produces healthier people, both in their own, if they're practicing in a personal way through prayer, and meditation and things like that, or if they practice it in a communal way every time. All the studies show, I love to hear that. So the spiritual is a big part of the healing, but it's not all, in my opinion. And, and I think it was a turnoff for those people who were rather disappointed in some of the responses that they were getting from their friends in the church. That's all I'll say about that. Okay, uh, here's a little bit more on stigma from the experts. People with mental illness and their families deal with a large amount of shame, social stigma around the illnesses. People assume that the person has done something to cause. That's kind of what we said. The need for honest conversations that bring clarity to the topic are needed. Honest conversations. One to one. Let's talk about this. Let's talk about it and let's see. You know, maybe n neither of us really have a handle on this, but by honest dialogue, maybe we, maybe we can hear God give us some wisdom. Conversations about mental illness need to change in frequency and in tone. Yeah, for sure. All right. Now, I'm going to be the preacher. And... Um, well, I'm, I think I should give you a little warning here. Um, I'm going to put it off. I'm going to read the scripture first. 
And then I want to give you a warning. <laughs> okay. What? Oh, you know, I had my timer here. And, <laughs> well, I, it, yeah, yeah, you tell the Sunday school teachers, okay. <laughs> so, Ruth, can you give me a signal? I got about five minutes left, okay. I, so I, yeah, all right. Okay. All right. The passage that we're going to look at today is 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 26. Very familiar one. I'm just going to read it. I'm going to read the whole thing without stopping. And I'm going to ask you to do something. Since, since we're talking about emotions, most of us read the scripture pretty much cognitively, a lot of it trying to understand what it's saying, and obviously that's, that's good. But try, just try your hand right now, uh, getting in touch, what, how do I feel? When we, when we read these words, when you hear them, what feelings come to you? All right, let's start. For just as a body is one, and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body. So it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts and yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head. To the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greatest honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty. Our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now, it's at this point, I'm going to tell you what happened to me. Uh, I, I've been living with this scripture for ever since I 
decided that this was going to be the key one, and, I, and that's, that's been, oh, maybe 10 days. And I, I've just read it many times and get it into my spirit and, um, oh, got ever so many insights. Um, and I was going to, that was going to be the rest of my message is, is to unpack all this. But something happened to me last night. I decided just to just to read it and then sit back and and just reflect. Where, where's God here? Uh, He's actually kind of in the background here. I mean, this is such an amazing word picture. This is so brilliant. It's like, it's like he wrote a children's book with pictures, a bunch of body parts talking to each other. And, and, and you, you can, can't you just sit, just sit down there and read with your children and then they're fascinated with it? It's great. It's delightful. But, but where's God in it? Well, he's there. But it's sort of in the background. It, it's in little comments that Paul used, I think, speaking for God. Remember, he was under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And he says things like, listen, listen now, you, you're, uh, what, you're, you're thinking all wrong about this. I know that's your reality, but it doesn't make it true. So he's saying things like that. And, and then he's saying things about, that makes us realize there's a whole master plan that God created for the church. He said he set the members in this place just as he planned. It's a perfect plan. And I started to I started to get emotional. I started to think about how I love the church. I love the church. I've always loved the church. Let me tell you a quick story. I thought about something that has not come to my mind for 30 to 40 years until last night. Real quickly, I was, I think, eight years old. And I didn't have much experience with church. Uh, my parents didn't go. My aunt and uncle would take me to a Presbyterian church every Sunday. I don't know that it, it, it really did much for me. It was kind of boring. And I twiddled my thumbs a lot. I'd watch my, grand, uh, my aunt do that. And so, and, but every... I was, I was there. And, and then uh, we, my parents took, took us to Grandma and Grandpa's in Missouri, a long ways away. And we were there, and they're all gabbing all the time. And then my mother was just going on and on with, with her parents and with all the other family members. And it was Sunday morning. They were up early, and they were talking, talking. And I'm just hanging around. And all of a sudden, I get this urge. I want to go to church. Eight-year-old boy. 
don't really know God. I want to go to church. I want to go to church. And I, I started crying because they didn't know quite what to do. I remember my grandmother saying something like, well, Kenneth must be a religious boy. And, uh, but I was inconsolable, and so she, she made grandma, uh, Grandpa run me over to the Baptist church, and he dropped me off, went back home. <laughs> I, I, I had a good time. I felt good. And I tell that to say, God, put something in my heart. He was going to fit me somewhere in the body of Christ, and I didn't even know him. It wasn't until about a year or two later that I came to Christ that I understood salvation. And I, I, I probably never would have ever been emotional about that. It's just kind of a cute story. It's, it's real. God cares for us. Well, I'm going on like that, and it's like I haven't got that much more time. Uh, before I have to <laughs> preach, so I got I must be going here. Get a hold of yourself, Ken. I mean, I'm, all of a sudden I'm writing stuff in, uh, waxing eloquent about the beauty of the church, and then I'm saying, wait, I'm, now get a hold, wait a minute. This is, you know, this isn't this isn't a panacea. Church is not a panacea. I mean, after all, look at this. You know, we got a foot who's who's envious of of the hand. I suppose because he's got opposable thumbs and foot doesn't. I don't know what it is. And, and he, gets, he gets all turned around and he's not acting like a foot. And then you've got, then you've got the head. And, then, and the head is just very, very full of confidence and, and really, uh, really moving in God. And he can't see why we have to have all these parts that just seem inferior can't relate to them. That's the kind of body that we really have. And then so now my mood goes down. And, and now here's where I'm getting a little personal here. A lot of us, I think, who have a history with Fountain of Life, and we think of all the wonderful things We've all got great stories. That got me thinking about that too. I've been hurt by church. And I go back even farther to a church that's no longer existence called Christian Fellowship. And I remember we, and when we started in my early 20s, Ruth and I had just been married, and oh my gosh, the things that God was speaking to us about the kingdom of God and, and uh, in teachings I'd never heard of like before. And we were so full of vision. God is going to bring in the kingdom and we're, we're responsible for Chicago. So we're going to take Chicago by storm. Exhilarate. And we even experienced, really did experience a pretty good taste of genuine koinonia. We knew how to relate to each other. We had intimate relationships. 
for a while. And then everything just starts, you know, the foot and the hand, and then they're all doing their thing, and they're getting off. And things go down, down, got worse and worse. Spiritual abuse, people leaving, people being uh, castigated for leaving, all that. We wound up in a sorry state. I was one of the elders. We presided over, over uh, either deciding to, to just disperse or we approached Fountain of Life and we, God, God was still speaking to us and he said to us, okay, unless a seed falls in the ground and dies, it can't bear fruit. So we, we just said, well, here we are. Take us if you, if you will. We're, we're here, we're, we'll submit to you. And they did. They did, they took us in. Not many mergers, it wasn't even a merger, it was a, it was merging into. They were so gracious to us. We grew then for 20 years. Many, many great experiences in God. And now, and now it's happened to them. So where's God? Is God with us in the grieving? And I've grieved with quite a few of you because it's so fresh. But I had a real encouragement just like three days ago. I talked to one of my old friends who had one of those, a leader with me back in Christian fellowship who went a different direction he said, but we think we should be in Christ Church of Oakbrook. And, uh, and I, we remained friends, and I, we'd walk together, and I'd just watch their relationship grow and spiritually and spiritually and spiritually, just tremendous. So we, I'm talking to Dave, and he, he said, I got to tell you something. I got to tell you about what, What's going on in the church? I said, I think I know something about that. He said, well, you know, we, we're a satellite church uh, in the last two years, and, and we are really moving. The Spirit of God is really moving, and, and we believe God is, has uh, opened a door for us to enfold as many as people as they want to come we want to care for. You don't know how that made my heart lift. How does this happen? Somebody I knew 40 years ago, and he, and he didn't have a connection with Fountain of Life, but he did with Christian Fellowship, and now, and now here they are. You see, they didn't just buy a building. They unfolded people. And I don't know where this is going, but I tell you what, God is not forgiving any of us. He sets people into the body according to his will. And it's a good thing. 
Well, how far off did I get with my <laughs> notes here? Let me just take a look here. <laughs> I, oh, I, I know what the warning was I was going to give you. <laughs> and that was, be prepared for something really different. <laughs> PowerPoints, facts, and then when I get to this other part, based on a fresh awareness of God working in my life and my emotions are all over the place. And I'm rejoicing. What has that got to do with men mental illness? It's got everything to do with it. Because mental illness is just one form of sadness, one form of grief, one form of loss, one form of str struggle. And what some of us have gone through with this, with our woundedness. And, and you know, I think of, of Peter saying, saying, once you were not a people, but now you're the people of God. You know what that feels like to be not a people? Many people know that. And some people, even in the church, experience that. But he wants us to be a people. Now, there's, there's plenty of good advice if we want to learn practically how to relate to those among us who are in a category of mental illness. A lot of good tips. Don't think you're better than they are. <laughs> don't, don't be telling them what's, uh, what they should be doing whether to take medication or not, you know, all these kind of things. But you know what really matters the most is what we call identification. We may not have ever had a, 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 a major depressive uh, um, episode where we had to be hospitalized, but we know sadness, we know depression. We may, we may, may never have had such anxiety that we can't, we can hardly function. But we know anxiety. I know anxiety. I've known it in the last 24 hours. Great fears. I, I, I'm serious. I, 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 I've got a real fear going back, way back, about public speaking. I had a stutter, and I was, I said, I'm not, I'm not having anything to do with any of that, even though. As I get older, I realize there's something in me that needs to talk. I know anxiety. And, and it all came back. So much of this crazy feelings came back in the last day or so. Or so. When, I, when I accepted this, this uh, invitation to speak, I did it in strength. Yeah, I, I can do that. I, uh, there's been times in the last few days and, and Eve knows that I don't know anything and not from lack of preparation I had so much preparation and so much inspiration but I have no idea how to, how to get it out I even said to Ruth, my wife, last night or asked her am I going to bomb? I'm not serious 
And that's not the most important thing, whether I bomb or not. What's the most important thing is, am I able to articulate something that we need, we need, desperately need, if we're going to be able to truly relate to everyone? That's all I got to say about that. How about, how about we pray? And I think that's kind of a signal to people, musicians that come up here. I'm going to pray. I guess something like what I prayed in the beginning. Lord Jesus, give us a heart for one another. Deliver us from any kinds of crippling fears that make us say, I don't belong. I don't fit in. I best just kind of isolate. Deliver us from, if that's a struggle for us. Deliver us from some kind of a pride that we don't even know we have that makes us accentuate the differences between us and those who are more, more kind of obviously struggling. We need to be transformed, Lord, to avoid being a, a bad foot or a bad head or ear. This is your body. Thank you, Lord. Use us. Work in us. Guide us. Amen.